How's everybody doing? It's your boy, Josh, uh, and this is In Defense of Liberation, the show that is educating about and working towards a true people's liberation movement, and hopefully one day, a true proletarian revolution. Um, But until that happens, uh, I'm your host, as I said, Josh, and today we got a little bonus episode for you folks. I, uh, I'm kind of in the process of moving and, and, you know, life is getting busy here again. And so I unfortunately didn't have a prepared episode, um, but I did do a writing. And to preface this writing, I want to say a few things. Um, but first and foremost... We, so I live in America. I don't know where all my listeners are tuning in from, but I live in America. And one of the most clear things that any of us in America, uh, especially those of us who call ourselves the quote unquote left, should be able to recognize is that we are at a period of time where there is no second option, there is no alternative method than um, proletarian revolution and other than, you know, true uh, solidarity and, and coalition in order to end oppression on this planet. Because not only are people dying at a... I, I can't even come up with a useful adjective, Um, so many folks are dying, not only within this country, from coronavirus and from millions of other, you know, factors, but all over the world, poverty, inequality, the pandemic, um, and many different things, especially including capitalism and imperialism, have led to the absolute destruction of humanity. If you see what's going on in India right now, um, they are having to build outdoor crematoriums in the space uh, of a hospital in one place that burned down because an oxygen tank exploded. And they do not have any oxygen for the majority, so thousands of people are just dying every day and just being burned in, in these outdoor crematoriums. And, you know, the earth, as we know, is is very close to a disastrous turn. And there just is no turning back. There is no room for failure. So, you know, those of us who feel passionate about these things, those of us who feel as if we need to begin organizing and, and fighting these things, we must know that there is very, very little room for error. And that is not to intimidate or to scare anyone, but that is to encourage us to very, very, very often dedicate ourselves to learning the lessons that we can learn. History and human knowledge are genuinely so expansive and and so unending. There is too much to be learned to have any excuse as to why we are not learning it. So, Another thing that's facing a lot of us is our inability to come together in any kind of meaning, you know, meaningful fashion and start building what it is that needs to be built. Uh, so I wrote this little 
thing. I uh, titled it An Open Letter to All Comrades. And I wanted to read this and hopefully it inspires and encourages us to begin going out and really start putting our money where our mouths are and really start, you know, organizing and, and, and working however we can. You know, that's not, you don't have to do a certain thing to be a quote unquote good organizer. Uh, you just have to see a need and help. That it, That's all we can do. That's all we can expect of ourselves. So, this is titled An Open Letter to All Comrades. It was written by me, Josh Finn, on April 26, 2021. And so here we go. Um, Comrades, friends, and relatives, I hope that you will all receive this writing in good faith as I come to you in such a way. I know that often one of the most difficult parts of life is that facing of reality, the need to pay attention to what is directly in front of us. I have never been one to enjoy this myself, and one of the hardest realities I personally hate to face is the reality that I am often wrong. I know that this might not be anyone's favorite realization either, and so I say this as to make certain that we recognize the humanity involved in what we are all discussing. We are human beings, regardless of whatever opposing or divisional characteristics our ruling class might give us. But more than this, We are human beings who can go through different lives, endure different hardships, struggles, and sufferings, and yet we can all remain human in our coming together and sharing of those struggles. More than this, our shared suffering is that we all suffer. The pain of a human being is the pain that being human creates. The need to wake up each day and face reality, whatever it may be, is the pain that all humans who are damned to this earth must endure. But this damnation, regardless of anyone's outlook towards it, is only a damnation in our current circumstances. Because we are all predestined to live in a world such as ours, full of suffering, starvation, homelessness, immense poverty and inequality, disease, viruses, murder, and rape, and all the other inhumane parts of life, then we must also recognize that we are all predestined to consciousness of these things. It is our reality... We are conscious of these sufferings, as many of us have to endure them ourselves. But there are those of us who have all these privileges, of this consciousness escaping into our subconscious thought, a place where clear intention is never recognizable, and really a place of forgetfulness and ignorance. Those of us more privileged than others, who live better lives than many, can ignore the hunger, poverty, and death facing the world round and go on living our own torturous lives of wage-earning and day-to-day monotony. No suffering is comparable, but one of these is outright deadly. We, the lucky ones who can suffer in silence, might want to open our damn mouths. Not about our own sufferings. The world has surely heard enough of these. We need to begin standing alongside the truly oppressed and exploited masses, demanding as they do liberation. Reality is this. Suffering, pain, and heartache. But being human is this, enduring suffering, pain, and heartache, and having the ability to live another day, to help someone else, and to continue to be human. Let me say this, let us not forget the suffering of anyone who is alive today, but let us end our own sufferings by fighting against those of one another. Those of us alienated, alone, depressed, and ready to die upon waking up for another day can find solace in the community, love, and solidarity that we can build by helping others. Our mission is clear. See needs and meet needs. 
But we cannot do this alone, and we cannot find each need without one another. We are stronger together. We are able to succeed together. And so we must fight arm in arm for one another together. Solidarity, comrades, and power to the people. What we need. I am probably not the right person to be writing this as a white man in my mother-in-law's living room. But I hope in due time someone might be inspired to continue on writing something that I cannot. But what I can write is what I have objectively observed, and I present it to those who might care enough to read or listen. First and foremost, I would like to begin this section with two things in mind. One, we must go into every situation humble. And two, we must be what it is that we can be in order to help the communities in need. I am no better than anyone, but my equalizing characteristic is that I, like those reading or listening to this, am a human being. I can feel, I can hurt, and I can suffer. But I can also see, hear, and most importantly, listen. I can help, I can labor and work, and I can do many things that others cannot. And so because of this, I ought to. Not because of any specific moral indignation, not because of any call by some god or spirit, but because if I have the ability to, why do I not? When we see people suffering, we have choices. As much as these choices are predetermined by our own sufferings and circumstances, but we still have choices nonetheless to help or not to help. If my car has a mechanical issue, I can choose not to fix it, as I often do. Rather than taking it to the mechanic and paying to get it fixed, or learning how to fix it myself. If I have a stomach pain, I can choose to not see the doctor, and I might be making that decision based on the fact that I do not have health insurance, but still I am making a choice. Choices, regardless of their motivation or circumstance, are things that we as human beings make consciously. Being human, imbued with this consciousness, is both a blessing and a curse, as we all know. But still, this consciousness is what allows us to take money from our wallet and to give to an unhoused person. It is, what take, it is what makes us give our clothes to charity or donate to organizations. What we must recognize is that these choices, regardless of their nature today, do not solve the problems facing our suffering masses. We need to be making better choices. But choices are in fact based on circumstances. One of the worst circumstances facing the world today is twofold, or doubly named, I suppose. Misinformation and miseducation. I say it is twofold because it is an ebb and flow as all of life is. Misinformation, the beginning, leads to miseducation and vice versa. A miseducated father might tell his children the same racist and sexist sentiments that his American education system taught him. But this is now misinformation being given in the form of miseducation. Misinformation is also the nutritional facts on the gross food that we eat today. But this is not miseducation. Miseducation is the use of misinformation with a narrative or goal in mind. We educate not to have people simply know things, but to do with that information something. We teach, or we should teach, not for the sake of giving our students useless information, but to inform them and to help them become as human as they can be. A person educated only so far as to become a useful laborer is a machine. And yet, what do we see the children of the United States being educated to be? 
silent, obedient, and even defensive of the very system and nation that have made them into these empty mediums of consciousness. We see this misinformation in our news, which takes the form of miseducation as we see our ruling class take the lack of political and social awareness for granted. As our leaders openly break international law, sanctioning, bombing, and terrorizing entire nations such as Venezuela, Bolivia, Iran, Syria, to name a few, and they do not face any consequences. As our officials pass the baton to one another, from one rich, white, wealthy, elite president to the next, from one useless Congress to the next, and from one pitiful House of Representatives to the next, absolutely nothing changes. And this is because, similar to the shift from feudalism to absolutism, and then from absolutism to capitalism, only the face changed, the form but not the essence of the society we live in. It is still the rule of the few over the many, and this cannot, ab- allow, this cannot be allowed to continue. But how can this be combated? Our leaders are doubly as organized, doubly as militant, both in form and in weaponry, and they have held power for so long it is almost impossible to imagine a world where they are not our representatives in power. Even more unimaginable is the reason the reasonable idea as to why these useless elite ruling class are capable of reigning over us in such a way as they have for so long. But there they are, ruling as they always have, with impunity. And so what is it that there is to be done about it? Our only hope for any sort of success in defeating this power and rule of so many over or of so few over so many is the organization, combination, and coalition of those so many over the so few. As Marx did to Hegelian logic and philosophy, we need to flip this society on its head and take the oppressed masses from their subordinated and exploited positions and bring them into positions of power. To some, this is simply incoherent, and they might say, how can a problem be solved by placing different people in positions of power? If we're taught anything from our birth, it is that the nature of human beings is that of greed, self-indulgence, and corruption. But if we know anything about these avenues of power and control, then we know that these positions exist in our government and society for those types of people specifically. By this I mean the very goal of these positions is to uphold the power that they have and to maintain the status quo. More people fill these roles, more people are convinced of their use, and then more people feel that their own power is now more important than what that power is supposed to do, as in our textbook political debates and speeches tell us. Not that people jump into these positions and abandon their morals, but then no one can serve above the majority of a society with impunity and expect to do anything without eventually falling into opportunism or at the very least end up working against the people they supposedly aimed to help. Our positions of power are taken from within the society at large. The ruling class comes from the middle and upper strata, and then they are placed outside and above the rest of the society to rule over us. How is this an intelligent design to anyone except for our ruling class? This type of rule can only breed contempt, even for those who are quote-unquote trying to help. It is impossible to participate and be part of a system that has led us to this point, and this has been the main tool of oppression for centuries, 
and then expecting just because you are of pure heart that you might be able to accomplish anything. A perfect analogy for this might be the do-gooder police officer who feels that if they join the police force, they can somehow change it from within. Another example might go for Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, politicians who feel that because they spread the right messaging, say the right things, that somehow they can escape their own voting history, the party that they are a part of, and the blame that falls upon them for not doing anything but quietly folding their arms in disgust. This show of frustration does nothing for the millions of people they have abandoned and forgotten about while in Washington. Simply put, the, po- the, the system is too strong to fight alone, so why do we keep trying to? Our only solution, our only hope, is to combine our efforts and to begin coming together in meaningful ways as comrades and as people trying to work together to help the society at large. We need to begin forming our organizations as to meet the militant forces that face us. We need to educate and build social and political awareness. Political understandings will come as people actually participate in politics oriented towards the working masses. But for the time being, this just simply isn't possible, considering not a person nor a party in Washington has a single care or concern for any of us working people. We can only hope to become politically educated by making and participating in our own politics as workers engaged in the struggle for recognition of our own dignity. Politics, as it is understood, is not some group of wealthy white folks in a boardroom sharing ideas of how to continue staying in power, how to inadequately spend a budget to help the people they are supposedly trying to help, and use it on useless aesthetics and their own bonuses. Politics is the forming of and changing of the political foundation of a society. It is the passing of laws and legislation for the sake of fixing and amending the issues facing that society, and it should then be participated in by all members of that said society, not just simply their few ruling class. We must begin building coalitions and organizations meant to do all of this and more. We need to begin also to feed people, to clothe people, and to house them. Because as we know, our government has no intention of doing so. How did the Black Panther Party become such a household name and not fall into the mix of so many other four- and three-letter organizations who have come and gone over the years? Because the Black Panther Party had it in their minds that they had to meet the needs of the people. And so they built breakfast programs, transportation. They built community with the local street tribes, as many members called them, or gangs according to our politicians and police, showing their humanizing ideals of us. They were capable and able of combating what the government was refusing to do. And they were able to provide for the people in a way that no one else was willing to. That is how we are to build and to work. We must see the needs of the people for what they are, understand their origins and roots, try to formulate plans and ideas to attack these problems facing the people, take the ideas to the people, and try our best to help. That is all we can hope to do, and yet we are not doing it. The quote-unquote left in the United States is a very difficult beast to reckon with. But for those of us who might call ourselves communist, anarchist, and leftist, we might need to recognize that we are all aligned on one point. 
we need to eliminate capitalism and imperialism and install socialism. But if we expect to do so, we ought to socialize. How can we expect to help the people without going to the people? How can we expect to help anyone without discussing with them what it is that they need, building organizational power to help meet those needs, and going to do it? Nothing will change if nothing changes, and doing absolutely nothing isn't changing anything. Arguing among one another, spending all our time on social media and pretending like posting is praxis, or trying to uphold electoralism, these are all useless wastes of time if we are to focus on them solely. It is how many of us came to be comrades, but it is not our medium for how we can help those that we are trying to help or change the world that we are trying to change. It is how the people this country, the people of this country have spent far too much time being betrayed, forgotten and left behind by those of us who are granted the privilege to ignore them as many of us do. Both here and even worse is the situation that we find our comrades across the globe in, especially in what is known as the Global South or Latin America, Asia, and Africa, for those of us who don't know those terms. Not only do we ignore them on the streets, but we ignore them in our speeches. We ignore their needs and what we advocate for and the laws that we pass. We ignore them by simply not asking them what it is that they need and giving it to them. We as a group, the quote-unquote left in the United States, have done far too much in the sense of trying to determine what that left is. We've spent far too much time bickering among ourselves on topics and discussions that have no pertinence in the current day, and we expect that these awful interactions are somehow going to change the world. What a shame. Revolutions do not build themselves. Our final understandings must come from this very point. Looking back at history, we can use the gift of hindsight to learn from the lessons of revolutions past. We can look at the revolutions of the French in 1790-91 to and the following liberal revolutions and Napoleonic coup d'etat. And we can see that these revolutions did nothing but claim the oppressive ruling seat for another. In the same sense that the switch from Republican and Democrat today does nothing, so too did the transition from aristocracy to republicanism and then to liberal governance, followed soon by the military-industrial rule. None of these impacted the people in any meaningful way, and they, the new ruling class, too, sat in halls of power and bickered and fought amongst one another. As the liberals and conservatives in Parliament argued in France, Napoleon was able to seize power using his military as a driving force. He was able then to install a constant military power, or a standing army, that remained loyal to the leader of the government and not to the people. From here we see many different uprisings, revolutions, and rebellions throughout history. The Haitian Revolution being the first successive slave revolt in their area, and then the first successive black republic. But this too was not enough and was soon disregarded and uh, disintegrated by France, England, and the United States since the revolution through to today. They were never forgiven for their daring to claim their own rule over their own nation. 
But from here we have to also the Paris Commune, an example of widely known history, especially for us comrades, which should be the guiding of our understandings of what is to be done today, not in action, but in lessons to be learned. In 1848, the people all over Europe were being led to believe that they were seeing new changes that would create a better world for them. But this was not the case. As Bonaparte before them showed quite well, these revolutions were not of the people. They were simply for a new form or face of oppressive rule. But in 1871, a new day was seen. The people took the power into their own hands. They destroyed the previous bourgeoisie state. And they gave political and social power to all at a working man's wage, with no careerism or wealth possible to gain from this. The people who were in power were doing so for the sake of all within the commune, not themselves, for literal survival. The police, too, were stripped of their political and social standing, given a working wage, and made recallable at any point in time. They were able to install compulsory schools to teach children not how to simply become machines for capital, but to build themselves as human beings and create a society in their mind, or, or, and to create a society of able-bodied, intelligent, and socialized people who have it in their mind that the goal of society and community is to help one another. They were able to fight and stay alive for almost four months before the armies of the French finally closed in on them, massacring the men, women, and children involved in the fight for true proletarian freedom. And what many more lessons we can learn since then. The revolutions in Russia of 1905 and both the February and October revolutions have lessons to teach us. The continuation also, through much more than four months by the Soviets, the workers and the peasants, became organized in a way as the communards in 1871 had not been able to. This was because they had directly learned those lessons of the Paris Commune, as the many different theories and ideas that stemmed from its demise and applied the theory of Marxism to their current and material reality. From here, the core of Marxism that led to the real-world application as Marxism-Leninism and its further outgrowths and developments were discovered. Quote unquote. But this was not an entirely true picture as we know. These things develop out of history. Ideas, solutions, and theories do not simply fall from heaven into the minds of geniuses, and I am not the first to say so. But it is not my place to lecture us on the theory of materialism. However, we must recognize that if we placate our theories, strategies, and tactics to the realm of our own minds and not to our clear reality, then we will have failed. We will fail, and in the process, as we have seen by the destruction of both the USSR and the Paris Commune, we will put people in grave danger. As we know also, our earth is dying. There's no denying this, and anyone who we might call a comrade who could is surely not a comrade of ours. We are revolutionaries who are fighting for the freedom, emancipation, liberation, and most importantly, the survival of humans across the globe, and the erasure of oppression from this earth. That can't happen if the earth is no longer inhabitable. And so when we fight for the end of oppression, the end of capitalism and imperialism, the end of hunger, destitution, inequality, and subjugation as these things have created, we cannot afford to be wrong at any turn. 
In China, they too took the lessons of not only the Paris Commune, the USSR, but also of the many enduring, successful, and even supposedly failed attempts at national liberation throughout the global south. China itself was a colonized nation. It also at one point was a colonizing nation. But if we are to look at the history, geography, geopolitics, and evolution of that area, we can see also that both imperialism and colonialism were, at many cases, being actively struggled against by the people. These are hard battles, and ones which human beings are more than likely to fail at. Not by our simple inability to succeed, but usually by our poor choices, which are often made not sculpted by, nor constructed by, our material reality. This is why we cannot ignore the world we live in today, and we cannot ignore any struggling peoples or any suffering masses. We cannot afford to ignore any and all the lessons that the thousands of years of human history and knowledge can give us. We cannot afford to be wrong. But how can we expect that a group or class of people who cannot even agree on a name to call themselves to come together and create something of this magnitude? First, I might say because our only other option is probable, slow, painful, and awful death. In most of the world, the pandemic has slaughtered millions. But even before this, capitalism, imperialism, and the social, economic, political, and environmental plagues that they created were killing millions each and every year. The masses in the global south are mobilizing. They are organizing and they are becoming militant and fighting their oppressors outright. They are, becoming the same, they are fighting the same uphill battle by which many nations, revolutions, and people have been massacred. In Cuba, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Venezuela, the Congo, Burkina Faso, Egypt, Palestine, India, Afghanistan, Somalia, the Philippines, China, Korea, Vietnam, and many other places we have seen this massacre take place in the open field. In the media, however, we are told that these wars are either fought for our own benefit in America or for the benefit of the masses there. But never once do we ever hear the voices of the masses themselves. We're told by our imperialist dictators that they're fighting for our freedom and spreading democracy. But even if this were true, what good has democracy done for us here or anywhere where it has been stalled for hundreds of years? Better yet, what has the following, republicanism, liberalism, capitalism, colonialism, imperialism, and the many other evolving forms of oppressive rule by the few over the many, done for those many? It has only created death, despair, and destruction. We need more. We will not, this will not come of sole necessity. Although this necessity will make it so that people will, in fact, begin standing up, that does not mean that they will be on equal grounding when they do so. We can never expect, truly, as materialists, to be at an equal footing with imperialist domination, technological advances, and military capabilities. But the ruling class can never hope to be at an equal footing with the masses and encouraged, emboldened, and inspired to fight for their own liberation as we are. There is no matching force for the need to free oneself from oppression. There is no matching force for the masses, organized, militant, and ready to emancipate themselves. But how can we expect to get there if we, 
the quote-unquote revolutionaries and the quote-unquote left here in America are incapable, unwilling, and unsuccessful in our attempts to build this very movement that offers support to their leading role in liberation. We cannot and will not expect this to come on its own. And the masses time and time again throughout world history have shown us that they themselves cannot truly reach a revolutionary consciousness without a helping hand. We must help the people. We must build up and with the people. We must first, however, go to the people and see how we can humbly and with solidarity help the people. That can be our only primary goal in this country at the current moment. The final point is this. The revolution is not for fame. I would like to finish with this point. If at any turn we are doing this for the sake of our own personal gain, whether that be political, social, or economic, or even simply the good feelings that being a good person might have us feel, we must step down from any leadership roles that we have. We must step aside and reassess ourselves. Nothing can come from the seeking to gain for only ourselves. Nothing can come of more selfishness. We have plenty selfishness today under capitalism. We do not need to see more under socialism, and especially not as an attempt to inspire socialism. Our goal is simple. End oppression. Simple in name, extremely difficult in action. But we have nothing of the sort in this country, and we continue to sit around and form organization after party, make fundraiser after mutual aid fund, have protest after demonstration, and yet cannot even come together in conversation without bickering like schoolchildren online over philosophical or historical facts that do not serve or help us today. We are like children who want to see only our picture on the fridge and no one else's. Let us remember our goal and let us also remember our circumstances and how close to the actual death of the earth we stand. My final message is this. We must consciously and primarily work towards building up our coalitions and parties by growing our relationships not just with one another, but with the very, the very people we intend or say we intend to help. We must learn philosophy, economics, history, geography, psychology, sociology, Marxism, and so on. We must educate ourselves to a point of exhaustion and further, because the masses do not have the afforded time that we might care for them to have. It is not the goal of a communist, an anarchist, or a leftist to give up on the masses, and so we cannot give up. We must struggle, learn the lessons of past struggles, and implement all of the knowledge into our current material reality. Anything other than this will fail because everything other than this has failed. We cannot fail. Power to the people to liberation. So I also wanted to take a few moments after recording that to kind of hit on some of the more important points that I'm trying to make in that as to avoid any confusion. So first and foremost, in reading this to um, my party, Leftist Unification Party, the point was made that social media is an incredibly 
important tool and something that no organization or party that is trying to truly organize with the people and masses who need that organization today can afford to exist without. But our goal should never be to create another Facebook page, another Instagram page, or another Twitter page. Our goal should be to have organizations which have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. Our goal should not be to seek fame at any turn. That is opportunism. And opportunism, time and time again, has directly led to the death of thousands of people throughout human history. We can look at just about any revolution that has happened throughout the global south, throughout Europe, throughout America specifically, as Americans we might say, um, we look at the American Revolution, which was clearly a bourgeois counter-revolution, but in fact it was an opportunist revolution. The land of the free and the home of the brave was fought for by the very people who during, before, and after could not afford houses, could not get a job, could not vote without owning land, half of whom were not seen as human beings, as women, children, and black and brown folks were massacred, were made to be slaves, and made to be subjected and second-class human beings. And yet, how are we taught about this revolution in school today? How are our children, our brothers, our sisters, our nephews, our nieces, And the children in this country today taught about that revolution. They are taught about a truly emancipatory and and brave and, and, and heroic victory of the people over Great Britain, the oppressive force of the people. A great book on this, this topic might be A People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn, wherein he just, you know, in great detail, goes over the massive amounts of mutinies that took place among the soldiers, the lack of pay that was given to those soldiers, the amount of soldiers who died without, you know, you know, some soldiers died without clothing that they were promised, that they were so, supposed to receive. Uh, some soldiers died without provisions of any kind, and some soldiers finished out, you know, survived, served their term, to come back and find the land and the, the money that they had been promised for fighting in that war was not going to be given to them, and wasn't given to them. And now I know it's, you know, not really important, especially today, to feel sorry for these white supremacist assholes, of whom many probably would not be good people, uh, it still goes to show us that this is the clear and utter ignorance of the true material reality in front of us. Um, and this is the propaganda uh, that, that leads to you know, folks who call themselves leftist, uh, wanting to create something that just, you know, truly is not logical or materialist in any kind of fashion. And usually it is for the sake of some sort of gain or fame of their own. Um, that's opportunism. And it's also 
liberalism. Because liberalism, as I kind of briefly hint at throughout that, is the belief that change does not need to happen now. Whatever form that liberalism takes, a super easy read or even listen is Mao's combat liberalism, all right? Dank audio stash on YouTube, Chairman Mao. You can look up a playlist. I believe it's a 10-minute listen, and there's a lot of other great stuff on there, so check that out. But in combat liberalism, Mao goes over the many different ways in which liberalism has and can sneak into not only the party of the communists in China, but just in general to our organization because of the world that we live in. We are fooling ourselves if we try to pretend that our world that we live in today, being a capitalist and imperialist hegemonic world, we are fooling ourselves if we think in any way that we can progress past this point without falling or seeing people fall to this opportunism, without liberalism convincing the masses in this country that it is okay to just try to pass legislation, just elect a new uh, government official, or maybe go out and demonstrate, you know, have a nice little protest, and expect that any kind of change is going to come of that. We know today, for the people who are oppressed and truly suffering in this world, that the only thing that saves them is when they themselves come together and work towards saving one another and helping one another. That is and can only be our goal. Anything else will fail. Excuse me while I take a drink of my coffee. Um, another clear point that I'm trying to make in there that I hope is recognized is that the goal today is not to decide whether being a communist, an anarchist, a anarcho-syndicalist, a uh, uh, eco-Marxist, a Marxist-Leninist, or a Maoist. Now is not the time to decide whether or not these things are correct or incorrect. Another great thing that Mao talks about, not to praise Mao, but you know these... His works are incredibly important to our organizing today and we ought to learn from them. Otherwise, we are choosing to ignore the clear lessons that have succeeded. Um, Mao talks about the fact that there is a difference between antagonistic and non-antagonistic contradictions. We have contradictions among ourselves and we do not agree wholeheartedly on everything. But as it's discussed time and time again... It's a 9 out of 10 thing. 9 out of 10 points we agree on. That last 10th point, we don't. But that 10th point is not going to come up anytime soon. So we should oughta, we ought to ignore it for the time being and figure out how to help the people who are literally dying in the streets of coronavirus, of hunger, of joblessness, houselessness. These things need to be directly combated. And nobody who is dying on the side of the street who doesn't have food or a house, is going to critique you on your political philosophy as a Marxist or an anarchist when you come to give them food with your fellow Marxist, anarchist, and leftist brothers, sisters, comrades, non-binary folks. The goal is not to be right. The goal is only to be right in that our solutions lead to success. 
but not to be right so that we can tout it as saying our political philosophy or our ideas were the correct ones. The intention is to take the lessons that we can learn from the thousands of years of human history to dedicate ourselves to educating ourselves and learning those lessons and implementing those lessons in our material reality to see if those were lessons that simply lucked out and worked in the places where they worked or they are universal. And we have universal solutions that the philosophy of Marxism and the world historic revolutions have brought us to. One of the most clear and concise ones that today needs to be struggled against and needs to be combated is the discussion of the vanguard, the vanguard party. A lot of folks do not know how to be dialectic in our understandings. We still fall to metaphysical understanding. We still fall to very one-sided and very ignorant understandings of things because we choose not to educate ourselves fully. We choose to accept what little knowledge we can have while being able to pass as intelligent so that we can pass as intelligent. What good is this? This is useless. Why are we doing this? If we're talking about being truly revolutionary, if we're talking about truly changing the world that we live in, what the fuck does it matter if one of us is right or not? Because guess what? I can be right and sitting in my room every single day, but me being right and posting on Facebook isn't feeding the people down the street from me. The objective, as Marx said, prior to this, philosophers have only interpreted the world. The point is to change it. So let's begin changing it. So most folks read about the vanguard or, or kind of learn about the vanguard and accept that understanding as being this rigid co- construct of a government structure or some kind of political representation of quote-unquote professional revolutionaries. What makes a professional revolutionary, would someone ask? Okay. Is it reading all of Marx's theory? No. Is it blowing up a police station? No. It's waging successful proletarian revolution, installing a government of the many over the few, a.k.a. the dictatorship of the proletariat, changing the very material foundation of that society from capitalism into socialism, a progression towards communism that can never be perfect, and that is why it is called socialism. How can we expect then that these professional revolutionaries are to be petty bourgeois academic assholes who read theory yet do not go into the very streets that need help and implement that theory? Here is what the vanguard is not. A group of uppity theory nerds who sit around and boss the people. That is just another form of the rule of the few over the many. And that is not what Lenin was talking about when he was discovering, quote-unquote, and uh, theorizing the idea of the vanguard party. Look at what it is that the Soviets, and Lenin specifically, 
did to organize the revolution in October of 1917. The Mensheviks had betrayed the people in many ways. The people had started to take land for themselves. The peasants were starting to take over the farmland themselves by armed resistance. Um, and the Mensheviks wanted them to wait until the, uh, the, I forget, I think it's constituary or some other word, the provisional government uh, met so that they could pass laws and legislation and legally get that land to the peasants. The Bolsheviks, however, and eventually, you know, over time, this was not always the case, but the Bolsheviks in this moment decided to support the people, give solidarity to the people, and work alongside with the people to educate them how to successfully do the things that they were doing as to push the struggle forward. Marx, prior to the Paris Commune, wrote to the communards in Paris and told them not to revolt. He told them they would not be successful and that they would be slaughtered. The moment that Marx found out that the Paris Commune had been initiated, he gave nothing but his undying support to the communards and to the proletarian fighting for true proletariat freedom. That is what the vanguard is meant to do. The vanguard is not a rigid structure. The vanguard, like everything else, is a dialectical formation. It is an ebb and flow. It is a unity of opposites. The vanguard, led by quote-unquote academics and petty bourgeois, is supposed to implement that knowledge, that expertise, and that education to the people in a way that can, like giving a hammer to someone who needs to hammer in a nail, gives them the tools that they need to revolutionize the material reality they live in and establish the rule of the many over the few and install socialism. But what we see that happened in the Soviet Union because of many different things, history is incredibly important to study, but I want to get this point over with really quick. The, the way that the Vanguard Party or the Soviets were staying structured was not moving towards more and more democratic and representative rule. It was leading towards another version of the rule of the few over the many. And eventually, Stalin and many of the other Soviet leaders were incapable of trusting the masses because they had, fin they had pushed themselves into a position of rather than being a leader of the people, by the people, and for the people, he simply was the people's leader. That is not what we are supposed to be looking for. We are not looking for leaders. That is opportunism. We are looking for proletarian revolution. There can be no leaders other than the people themselves leading themselves out of oppression and into liberation. We need a vanguard party in, say, community gardening. We need a vanguard party in theory. We need a vanguard party in armed struggle and community defense. But if I personally am a part of that vanguard party, and my objective is to remain a part of that vanguard party and not to give my education my understandings, and my, my knowledge to the very people who I am trying to instruct in order to bring them up 
with me and to bring them into the positions that I am in and probably above me as folks who are truly proletariat in a way that I am not, that is the objective. It's to give the people the very power and the very tools that they need to emancipate themselves. The Vanguard Party, nor any party or organization that calls itself communist, anarchist, leftist, or, or of the people, can be structured in any way that leads towards solely the continuation of that party or organization's power. If our party needs to disband, then we disband it. If our organization needs to disband, then we disband it. If our party, if our people, if our leaders, if our vanguards are not serving the very masses which they say they are supposed to support, then the masses ought to disband them themselves. Look at the Cultural Revolution. In China, the leaders were beginning to fall to opportunism. They were beginning to fall to liberalism. And the masses would not let it happen because they were educated and they knew it would not continue their own emancipation and liberation and the building of socialism. That is what the vanguard is to be. It is not a rigid structure. It is a form, it is a face, and it is a tool. When it is not useful, we do not use it. These are how we are to learn lessons. We are to learn them dialectically. We are to learn them materialistically. As in, when they serve their purpose, we use them to serve that purpose. You would not bring a plumber into a surgical's office unless he or she or they had had extensive learning and education done in order to operate and proceed in that surgery. That is just an intelligent decision that we ought to make. So why do we not make intelligent decisions in the very things that require extremely intelligent and well-coordinated and dialectical and materialist thought? It is because we are falling to liberalism. It is because our goal is not the emancipation of the working class, but our own fame. And it is because we are not dedicating the time to learning and learning from the lessons that the thousands of years of human history and knowledge, specifically the world historical revolutions, can teach us. We are choosing instead to be pragmatic, we are choosing instead to be empirical, and we are failing constantly. The earth is going to die. People are going to die. And I know that it is a scary reality. But you know what's even scarier? Thinking that we're going to have to do it alone. Fred Hampton says it fantastically. We have ourselves separated by, I'm a white man and I hate black people and I'm a black man and I hate white people and I'm a hillbilly who hates uh, 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 indigenous folks and I'm an indigenous person who hates hillbillies. The goal is not to divide ourselves and fight amongst ourselves. That only serves a reaction. That only serves the ruling class that is continuously benefiting from our bickering amongst one another. Our goal is to fight fire, not with fire, but as Fred Hampton says in his, his famous speech, um, we are to fight water, fire with water. We're not going to fight hate and racism with hate and racism. We're going to fight hate and racism with solidarity. But true solidarity, that isn't just, oh, I love you, I'm sorry that this happened, but is okay, we are going to formulate a way to eradicate racism from the face of this fucking earth. 
That can only be done by first eliminating the rule of capitalism, which created the idea of race in order to justify the rule of white supremacy. Welcome to America. People, the world we live in is a real one, and we have to pay attention to it. Otherwise, we are failing ourselves, and we will continue failing in our attempts to change that reality. If you're still listening to this, I appreciate you. I know this was supposed to be a bonus episode and turned out being one of my more longer episodes recently. I hope you enjoy it. Um, I felt led to talk about that because it's an important thing to discuss right now, especially in our country where there's a million fucking organizations, there's a million different attempts at change being made, but if at their very core they are not attacking the fire at its base, they are failing. And we will continue to fail in this way. Um, So I have been Josh. This is In Defense of Liberation. Thank you for listening. If you want to reach out to me for any reason, you can find me on all my social media. That's TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at In Defense of Liberation. And you can also email me at In Defense of Liberation, no caps, no spaces, at gmail.com. If you like this, but you would prefer it in a written form, you can also find my blog on my website at forliberation, no caps or spaces, dot wixsite, W-I-X-S-I-T-E dot com forward slash website, and you can check out my blog there. Uh, Also, let me know how my website is looking. I'm trying to make it as cool as possible, but I'm not technologically intelligent at all. Um, so yeah, let me know what you think about that. Um, again, if you want to reach out to me, those are all the mediums you can reach out for whatever reason. Um, I hope everybody is doing well and staying safe. Um, I know that a lot of us are having an awful time right now, but the only way that we can see that through and begin changing that is by building solidarity relationships and growing our love and compassion and, and empathy for one another, becoming as human as physically possible. Um, Love you all, solidarity you all, um, and as a little encouragement, you know, however you can, whether it's going out and maybe donating a couple uh, stacks of canned goods to a local food pantry or getting involved with an organization that's doing uh, propaganda, however it is that you can get involved in your local community, That can't be bad unless that organization or the people who are doing it are not taking the time and effort to look at how to actually help people. Um, And you, as a person who is a part of that organization, can try, uh, but it is not your job to change every organization from within itself. You can try to push that forward and try to get these organizations to, um, you know, maybe work a little harder, do a little bit more, but... You know, the more that we go out and try things, the more that we go out and try to organize and and build with one another, the more lessons we can learn about how to successfully help people today. Because even though the lessons of Mao, Lenin, the Paris Commune, Marx and Engels, and, and many other people are extremely important, we also have to learn lessons about the lives that we live today, and especially in the places that we live today. So, yeah, that's my little encouragement. I hope everybody's doing well. Um, Love you all. Stay safe, y'all, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.